0: We are in Champions League, man. That Dilly Din, Dilly Don. Come <laughs> on.
1: Into to sharing him. i I will love it if we beat them. Love it. This is the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast with Gary Kearney.
0: Aguero. coaches, welcome back to another Modern Soccer Coach interview. Big one today, we are joined by you Bird, head coach of Ollie Town FC in USL2 here in the States. We've had him on before, he's talked about analysis in his previous role as performance analyst with MLS club Columbus Crew. Today we're going to talk about game models and more specifically we're going to talk about how to impact those game models in a short period of time in a condensed season which I'm sure a lot of you listeners have experience with. So it's a really, really good topic. Lee View has been generous and kind to share an example of some of his game model. And we talk about that today in the interview and we show some clips here. If you would like a copy of that game model as an example, you can get it for free on the Modern Soccer Coach website. It's on the link below. It's an easy download. I hope you enjoy this interview. If you find it useful, if you find it valuable, please give it a like and please make sure you subscribe. I appreciate all the support. Here is leave you enjoy. Leave you. Thank you so much for joining us again today on the Modern Soccer Coach podcast.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. Always fun.
0: Interesting topic. So, first time we've we've done we've done game model ones, but I don't think we've done a specific topic title like this and I think it's a good time to do it because I think over the span of five years game models have become more mainstream they've become uh, definitely more popular and that's a good thing but also then I think what we need to start talking about is how to communicate them better how to be more efficient with them and how to almost differentiate yourself as a coach within it so that's what I wanted to get into today we we both agreed on the topic which was, transmitting clarity in a game model so I, I think we're both on board that there's an issue with this clarity area uh first question i wanted to ask you was was where do you think coaches go wrong with clarity on the game model
1: yeah i think the, the biggest thing is when you look at coaching and, and for me it's it's a kind of a three-step process right it's um, I think I learned this uh, alliteration on my, my UEFA B course, it's me, method, and message. So me, so who are you, what do you stand for, kind of what's your game idea, what are your non-negotiables and principles, both you know, on and off the pitch, um, the method, so how do you want to bring that out in terms of how your team plays? Um, No wasted time, right? no throwaway sessions or exercises. Everything has tactics or that tactical element in it, as we commonly refer to it. Everything has a purpose and and a direct transfer to how you want your team to play on the weekend and in the 11 to 11 game. And then finally is the message. So how do you get your message across? How do you connect with players? How do you reach them? Can you reach them? Um, plenty of coaches, I think, are, are good on the first couple where they, they, you know, have a good idea of who they are and what they want, um, but they don't know how to take that final step and then transmit it. So in some ways, this is the most important one because without it, the rest is wasted. So for me, the, the biggest wasted time is in in the method for sure. So in people, coaches who who maybe have sessions that don't relate to how they want their team to play exactly, where they do an exercise just because, or they do something that I used to do this as a player, so I'm going to do it as a coach or or whatever. You know, everything has to have a purpose. Um, It's like all those, you know, we talk in the corporate world about all those meetings that could have been an email, you know, it's, you don't want players walking away thinking, wow this training session doesn't really have anything to do with what we're trying to do. you know, don't waste your time. Don't waste your players time. Every single thing you do needs to have purpose and clarity. And I think that's, that's where a lot of us go wrong. And, uh, you know, sometimes that, that's the question I ask myself all the time is. All right. Was that useful? Or, you know, ideally in the planning stages, is this useful? How you know, does it relate to what I want the team to get out of this week in training? Um, and then, and then again with with the message. So how you get your message across, or how you connect, or or whether you can connect with players on on a certain level. Uh, there's a lot of of wasted time, and and I would just say missed connections in that part of the the process as well.
0: Very very interesting. My first thought is me and method. Like I, I see a lot of people because they want the me to be player focused and almost popular. The method is up for negotiation, so to speak. For example, if Guardiola puts down a, a juggling competition into a into a trash can, that looks good online. And if you've got full-time access to your players, nothing against having a little bit of fun. But if you don't have full-time access to your players... 25-minute part of your session and you've got them twice a week, what you're saying there, like that doesn't align to a number of things within philosophies.
1: Yeah, correct. And I think... So the environment that I, I coach in now um, at the USL League 2 level, specifically with Ole Town FC, you know, we have players for you know, USL League 2. So we, we have a 12-week season, and that's including our preseason, if you want to call it a preseason. This past year, including the playoffs, it was a 12-week season and a one-week preseason with a, a friendly game leading into our first league game um players coming and going so college players who come in late some players who leave early you get players who uh, in the middle of the summer maybe are are out of contract who need a place to play so it's just the con your roster is in constant flux and it's not like you said it's not the high level you have them every day you can sort of play around with things oh this will be a fun activation for today and we can we can spend or a recovery day after a game we can spend some time doing this you know um in, in a lot of ways, at USL League 2 level, it needs to be run more like a national team where it's, you know, you get them for a limited period of time. You're trying to get certain things across and you're trying to, to you know, in a way that's going to help you get results because at this level, it is results-based as well. Um, you know, obviously, it's a development league for, for players, but you do have to get results or else people won't come to games and, and all that. So, um, you know, in this environment, there's – like I said, there's there's really no time to waste. And and from the very beginning, it's always my goal is that every single session has that purpose and it has, uh, you know, specificity. You know, we, we know what we want and, and how we want it done. Planning, you know, we, we always know what we're going to do before we do it. Nothing's done sort of off the cuff. Um, the detail of it, right? You have to be meticulous. And what do you want to get? What are your coaching points? Um, all, all that stuff. And then, you know, that also leads into, I think, at this level, the professionalism. So the high standards and the demand that you have on yourself and your environment, um, the opportunity that it gives to players to, yeah, it's a a short season, but, you know, it's give everybody a chance to sort of experience what a higher level environment is, ideally. Um, The tone that you set every day and and how you approach training and games and and the care that we show for, for every player, that all leads into, again... I don't want them to waste their time. You know, the, the club that I, I coach at right now, we're about an hour south of Seattle. We have players who come from Seattle to to come to training. I don't want them to drive an hour and think, wow, that was a waste of time. And now I got to drive an hour back home and I didn't get anything out of that. So all of that kind of wraps in to to the, uh, to the what the daily sort of environment looks
0: like. A lot of game models today are very idealistic. I, I... I've been sent well i don't know how many have been sent to look at a lot of them are you know build like barca press like city transition like real madrid and it's it's almost like oh that's, yeah but you're not going to be able to do that with players contact you, your context is very specific on that short condensed window and from a recruitment standpoint you mentioned those different types of players and the areas how much of your game model did you have to adapt for the context of a, of a USL League 2 season?
1: Yeah, I think if you look at... So Gary O'Neill, the Wolves manager, was on Monday Night Football on this past Monday, and, and he talked about this a lot, where he said you know, you have you need to have your game model, you have your idea, but then you also have to be able to strip it back appropriately for the group of players that you have. And, you know, like I said before, it's important to know where you're willing to compromise and where you're not and you have to know yourself you have to know your principles and your non-negotiables in you know my game model or or blueprint document it's it's way more detailed than it needs to be for any particular environment there's a lot of words you know specifically and those those are for me more than they are for the players Um, what the players get is way way simpler it's stripped down it's refined for the specific group we have it's simplified so they can hopefully, you know, remember it or recite it from memory, you know, three, five simple principles instead of 20, for example. Um, a lot of times we have to remember the game model. The game model is ours as coaches. It's It belongs to us. It's, again, it's for us more than it is for the players. And they have better things to do than memorize a bunch of words that I put together. You know, again, for, for the guys in my environment, a lot of them are college players. Last thing they want to do is have to study more when they're in the mm-hmm. summer and they're you know hopefully off of school and trying to play. They need simple messages, um, things that they can bring to life and execute. And then if there's time and, and there's the ability to do so, then you can build more layers on top of it. But you have to start with the stripped down, basic. Um, this is where it really helps to know what you want because you can then look and say, these are the most important things. This is what I really wanna get. Um, so, Nick Nurse, who's the head coach of the Philadelphia 76ers now in the NBA, he wrote a great book when he was the head coach of the Toronto Raptors um, and I, I read it and he talks in it about simple principles and he coached in the what was the D-League, which is in some ways the USL League Two of the NBA. Um, he, he said that when when their first season ended, you know, he sat down and really said, okay, how do we design systems and terminology that can be learned really quickly? How can we refine our system to what these players can handle in, in this amount of time? And the same thing in that league, players come and go and they're, they're back and forth from the the NBA and, and all that. Um, and so they, he said that they spent a, a good amount of time just deciding what they were going to call their plays and what they were going to, you know, their offensive plays and defensive coverages, numbers or colors or other things they could easily remember um, and establish those principles. and. Herb Brooks, who was the famous 1980 US ice hockey coach who beat Russia, Miracle on Ice, he had a similar thing. I remember reading a, a biography of him, and the on, on the forecheck, he had uh, one principle that was real kind of illustrated this it was backsides or eyeballs. So if you can see the player's backsides, then you can go in and you can press. And I think this is something that applies maybe in our game as well. But if you can see their eyeballs, so if they're in control of the puck and they're looking up the ice and they're they're in controlled possession, then maybe you can't press as hard because then they just play right through you. So um, just simple things like that where you can um, you can really simplify but also not lose the content that you want in your simplification.
0: I don't want to challenge a knock. Coach education has, has done a lot of really, really good stuff. The one thing that I say the difference between coach education and, and real life coaching is that coaching is really, really time sensitive and you're talking then about the the impact, how to, like the D-League analogy, how to get this to the players as quick as possible, condensed season without having them study and, and doing all that thing. And I think more of this should be challenged on coach courses because then that makes you think about how you communicate and how efficient you are with your communication. So are you saying then that less is more almost from a step one Listen, i've got 50 principles uh you're saying yeah can you get those down to 3 4 each moment or less or or what's a good number
1: it's tough because the 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 initial have, having your 50 principles your your built out complete picture if you want to call it that that's important because you have to know what the complete picture is. You have to know what that ideal is so that you can you know um, what's most important. And, and then obviously from there you simplify. So I don't think there's anything wrong with having a very detailed, like I said, my game model is there, there's a lot of words, there's a lot of diagrams and pictures. And, and again, it's more for me than it is for the players, but I feel like I need that reference. I need something to look back to and be able to say, okay, here's what we want in this phase. Um, and in an ideal world, if I had four or five training sessions a week and a six-week preseason and, and all that, you know, at one point this past summer, I was sitting there with my, my coaching staff and we were watching a training session and it was finally starting to click. Guys were, were connecting and the combinations were good. And, and I, I looked at it, I go, you know, we're about six, seven weeks into the season. At this point, we would be in a professional environment we would be about ready to play our first regular season game versus in this environment we're halfway through the season so um that that just shows you kind of the the difference is that you have to have something that you you can that is that complete picture but at the same time be able to strip it back when you need to and say what what's the first step and i think that's that's really more than anything that clarity of communications where do you start because that's where every team is going to be at the beginning is is at the very basic especially if you're not working with players like kevin de Bruyne and erling holland and you know those guys it's going to be a lot more basic and it's going to be from a starting position that is way closer to zero than where they're starting from and so having that complete picture is important but then obviously understanding what's the basic level and how do you layer on top of uh, one another that was one thing that that's one thing that I do think good traditional coach education does is that you have instructors who teach you how to layer coaching points and how to layer principles on top of one another
0: the chances that some of those players coming to the team will be exposed to some form of game models like suppose it's pretty high, it's probably I would guess fifty, sixty percent of them know reference points and and principles and that there. If you were to if you were to put yourself in their shoes, where do you think are the differences when they get into your environment in terms of where do you focus more on, like where, where where would you say a player is impacted that's different maybe from another game model?
1: So it's a good question. Everybody, obviously, every coach has their own emphasis and their own way that they see the game. Um, I I stress a little bit more on the um, simplicity of of the way that they play, and in terms of, I feel like we've gone in this country in a lot of ways. What I see is a lot of players now who want to play that possession based game, but they they. I think they misunderstand what the purpose is, right? Because the purpose of the game is to score more goals than the other team. So what I see a lot is players at that higher level who um, their body shape is, you know, they're oriented backwards. They have to play a backward pass or they play a sideways pass or the wingers come really deep to find the ball when really, you know, I would want them threatening the last line so they can get in behind, um, that sort of thing. So I think for me, it's in the attack. Again, if we're going to strip it back to the, the real um the real simple principles which i think is important you know you, first of all is positioning i call it rational occupation of space you know obviously that's kind of a positional game model term from there you know you play forward if you can i think that's that's the big one if we can get into the front half in six passes or fewer then i'm happy with that um i think a lot of times again we we do these you know, six to ten passes, and we talk a lot about back half possession, and that's all well and good, but then what happens after that? You know, it's you only get to the halfway line, and then you have to go the other half of the field to score. Um, So being able to play forward if you can, um, get numbers around the ball, um, counter-press when you lose it. You know, those are real basic elements that I I try to implement from the start. Again, that's just the attacking side defensively. You're looking at, you know, something different, but – Um, You know, it's for me, again, I try to keep things simple and, and keep the ideas basic enough, but also you have to have a framework and you have to have a reference point for the team to build off of.
0: Hello, coaches. You asked and we delivered. One of the most popular requests we get on this channel is passing warm ups. And it's not the regular, slow way to be passing exercises. No, what coaches are looking for is the one touch, intricate combination type exercises with that emphasis on quality, technique, and tempo. So we have decided to put 30 of these exercises together and release them on an ebook that you can get access to right away. If you're a youth coach who's looking for some extra technical work, or you're even a college coach or a club coach working with older players, looking for some warm-up exercises, or some pictures to align with your tactical objectives, we can help you out. Our new ebook, 30 Passing Practices, is available on the link below. It's a PowerPoint that includes video, session details, and coaching points on each slide. Tons of ideas, tons of different pictures, lots of adaptions. You can get it on the link below or at shop. Thanks for the support and enjoy. That individual piece, you talk about the body shape, and I think that's a, that's a really interesting point there where, of course, you see some of the Guardiola clips where he's maybe talking to Sterling or he's talking to someone on the training pitch and he's, he's moving us. You can see the hands going everywhere. He's a very animated coach. And he's talking about and he can get to work out what he's trying to do. But when you're in a condensed season, sometimes then you don't have the relationship base built up with that player in order to make an impact. And again, something similar to a tactical model, the more time you have with a player generally, the better it is with that player understanding you and vice versa. What are some keys to making individuals better in a short period of time or connecting with them and getting them into that tactical mindset?
1: Yeah, It starts with the recruiting process. So every player that is on our squad, I had a, you know, from the very beginning, have had a personal connection with in terms of at least, you know, a phone call, face-to-face meeting, something where it's, okay, if you want to come play, I want to explain to you a little bit about who I am, why I want to do this, how we want to play. You know, does this sound good to you? Um, can you see yourself fitting into it? So from the very beginning, there's, I hope, there, there's um, a feeling that players understand, okay, well, this guy cares. He actually cares about me. It's not just about, you know, oh, we want to win games and that's it. You know, it, it can't be, that, that can't be the game idea. That can't be, oh, we're just going to win because that's not really an idea. That's a result. Um, so having, you know, getting players to understand from the beginning what we want and and what we're looking for. And also I stress from the very beginning that especially in this environment, you have to have a lot of empathy for your teammates. So understanding that, um, you know, we have other things going on in our lives that it's not a professional environment. Nobody's paid to be here except for the coaches. And then, you know, even then we're not paid a ton. And, and understanding that you know, there's there's other things that might happen where somebody maybe can't make a training session. That doesn't mean that they're maybe that doesn't necessarily mean that they're not going to start on Saturday if they were going to anyway. It just means that maybe they got called in work or there's something else going on that they need to take care of today and they can't be a training. So that empathy is really important um, in terms of once you get them there and we're talking on the field. Yeah individual development always happens inside the framework of a team. So I, I try to stress to the players from the very beginning that, you know, a rising tide raises all ships. We, within the indiv- the team context, if the team does well, it's going to make every individual look better as well. Um, so we're, you know, we're, we're always trying to, to get to a place as a team where the individuals are going to do well. I don't expect that, players won't have their individual goals. You know, a striker is going to want to score 20 goals, and they're going to want to be the leading scorer and and all that. Um, And that's important for them to have individual ambitions, especially at this level, which is, again, it's a development level. Um, But hopefully there's a way where we can get the team intentions and the team goals to serve the individuals and we can get the individual goals and intentions to serve the team. So if there's a player who has that ambition, I'm going to try to put them in a position to make it happen. But at the same time, and at the same time, that's going to help us. it? Because obviously, if somebody wants to score 20 goals a season and they do it, that's going to help us. Um, so, you know, as, as a very basic example. Um, so things like if a player's on two goals and they're playing against a team that maybe is weaker and it looks like he could score three, four goals instead of, Oh, we're going to rest you and pull you out. No, let's keep him on for 90 minutes and see if he can score a couple more goals and help him out that way. And, um, and again, that also helps the team.
0: Yeah. Great, uh, great clip this morning. I saw on uh, the overlap Gary Neville has got Craig Bellamy on this week mm-hmm. and i um, talking about Bobby Robson and these basically there was a situation that got in a bit of trouble and and he had made up mind that if Robson went at him in the meeting that he came into that he was gonna go back to Bobby Robson. But Robson blamed everyone except Bellamy and um even though it was his fault. And then he asked him a couple of weeks later, like, Why did how did you know that I would kinda of react it differently if you had a, a, a approached it differently? And he just laughed and said, I work with Romario experience experience yeah. and it, i just maybe think the more situations that you're in and you he might have got that wrong five years ago or one year ago and we're all in these the ability to learn and the ability to uh pick up little nuances in communication off the pitch are just as important as a as a game
1: yeah and i saw that that video you're talking about and it's it's really interesting how the the best coaches are able to Again, they get these individuals, these Mavericks. Um, that's a, obviously Phil Jackson liked that term a lot. He wrote a, a book about himself called Maverick because um, he was one of those. You know, he obviously worked with Dennis Rodman and players like that. You get these guys who, if you have the ability to, to get their individual goals and their individual personalities to fit into what the team is doing, and you get the rest of the team to understand, this guy's a little different, but he's going to help us. And, and obviously it has to work and it has to be true. It can't just be somebody who's being, who's doing whatever they want for the sake of it. Um, but if you can get everybody to sort of meet where, and, and, and kind of, again, rising tide raises all ships, if we can all sort of come together and, and raise the level of the team within what we're doing individually, then it, there has to be a little bit of room for people to be themselves. We can't expect that we're, You know, we're not trying to hopefully we're not trying to create robots. We're not trying to create, um, you know, the same, you know, clones, copies of, of, you know, it's not copy and paste. It's everybody should be able to and should have room for some individualism and to to be themselves, um, ideally, in in those best environments.
0: It's that balance, isn't it? It's. it's, We were talking texting about the, the Denise interview with Jamie Hamilton about the the balancing between structure and creativity or freedom, um, which I think is, there's a, there's a fair bit of this going on in the coaching community at the minute about, about how to do it. And Jamie is quite clear in that Denise does have a framework. It's not just, I don't think there's any coach that's playing at a reasonable level that's going out and, and chuck, although I would love to see it, chucking the balls out the same, going ahead, play. <laughs> it probably wouldn't work. So where are you flexible in that freedom part? Is it in areas of the pitch? Is it with certain positions? Is it certain moments? Or is it no freedom allowed in your style?
1: Yeah, I think what you said, I think is really important in that there is a structure. There's always a structure. There's always some sort of, if you don't want to call it structure because it seems too rigid, then maybe there, there is a framework. There's a, an idea And then how the players carry that out should be up to them. So, the 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 communication piece, so the tactical principles, um, the basic ideas, are need to be the same, so that everybody's on the same page. Um, And so. You know, if if, uh, for example, a center back decides that he's going to cross over and, and dribble and do whatever he wants, and he's going to make runs up the pitch and stay there. That doesn't help anybody. Um, so, you know, there has to be an understanding that, okay, here's the, the framework here is is the, the basic idea. But then for me, I always want to allow individual players to make decisions that make sense in the moment. So if a player receives a ball. It, my, so my coaching points often end up being, okay, freeze, have a look at this. If we position ourselves like this, there's option one, option two, option three. Which one do you do? You choose. It's based on what you see, what you think you can pull off, what maybe what the opponent gives you. So what I like to do is, in, in all situations and in all um, parts of the field, every phase of play, I like to, when it's possible, give options so to tell players here's if you set yourself up like this and everybody follows this framework then you can have option one two and three and then okay we pick one and then they pick one and you know if we're doing a walkthrough for example they pick one and go okay now ball is here now so now based on this and based on the framework option one two and three go ahead and pick one right so ideally there's always an ability for players to inject their own decision making to to have their own um to, to make their own stamp on the game uh, and and you want players who are are willing and able to do that and, and again it's development level this is where those players learn this is how you get in the higher environment and and figure out what works and what doesn't and you know then we look at it maybe on film or you know either as a team or individually and say okay Here's option one, two, and three. You went for option four, which is not really an option, and here's why, right? So, um, you know, just, again, giving options, giving choices within the framework is ideal. It's, It's not, nobody wants to be, okay, do this, now you do this, and then you do this, and it's like this every time, no matter what. I just don't think that really works anymore. Maybe, maybe it used to a little bit um, when it was a little bit more, okay, here's what the coach wants. I'm gonna do it, I'm not gonna think. But now it's always, and I always encourage the discussion as well Where players. Okay, but why? Why do you want me to do this? Why do I move here? Why do I need to stay here instead of moving here or whatever? And, and again, that goes back to the game model and having that complete picture. And you can say, okay, well, here's why, because I want this, this, and this. And I've found that usually, if it makes sense, then players will follow it, even if they're not exactly enthusiastic about the outcome. If they're, okay, well, it's not exactly what I want to do. I want to try to dribble through ten players, but I see it; it's cool. Um, I'll do it. So,
0: yeah, I'm am guessing that with your background, there would be a strong analysis aspect of of your. I don't know if your review game review just overall environment what where does analysis kind of fit in in that day-to-day processes
1: so you have to be a bit creative and and be willing to solve problems on the fly so for example this past season uh we trained at a public park and there's it's not like we okay let's go in this theater room and watch a video now so what we did instead was uh there was like a picnic shelter right next to the field and it had a thankfully they had they had power so i would bring my laptop i'd bring an external monitor and we would sort of crowd around You think it was it was a decent size and we'd sort of crowd around and you know it would be short video sessions i'd try not to make it more than 10 or 15 minutes because otherwise you got players in a really uncomfortable position for an hour and, and again then you're wasting time um but you know, sometimes you have to be creative, you know, you bring the iPad out and maybe show two or three individuals, say, hey, you guys come here, watch these two clips from this game. Let's, you know, let's talk about this. Um, so being able to, uh, video is the most useful tool in any environment. I, I use it with the U12 team that I coach right now. Um, you know, there's just ways that you have to be able to, to, to be creative with your environment. It's not always going to look like you, know, you go on youtube and you watch um, oh look at man city's training ground in this uh this room that they have i mean every top level team now has like basically a, a movie theater in their training ground um obviously not all of us have that so there are ways that you can be creative and use the technology at your disposal to to use the video which again if, if you use it correctly it's it's the most important tool that you have
0: are you ever wor- worried about too much information too much tactical information uh in that short period of time
1: always it's it's the biggest one of the questions that i ask every day is this too much you know do, do they need to see this do, there's a lot of games especially when you play friday sunday you know it's not like what are you going to do on, on the saturday you're really going to sit them down and do a full game review on the friday game when they play again on on sunday probably not you know again this is a situation where maybe you pull a couple of individual clips and then in the locker room before the Sunday game go, hey, I noticed this, check this out, you know, maybe think about this. So it's, it's one of those big questions of, and even during training sessions, there will be times when I'll be standing there, say, with one of the assistant coaches and he'll go, yeah, but look at this. And then I'll just go, it's too much. Just let them, just let it go. That one, That's not important, right? It's when... And again, this is where you we take it back to understanding what your basic principles are and what you're, what you're trying to get out in such a short period of time where you go, it's too early for, for that level of detail, too early to add that layer onto this, this sort of um, cake that we're making here. So really understanding what you want and how to get there and then when maybe you need to pull back and go, okay, that's not ideal. It's not exactly what we wanna see, but we sort of have to let that one go because you don't want to. You can't go from A to Z without going through all the letters in between, sort of thing.
0: Glad you used the cooking analogy there because I think that's really, really important. To to it, it's not a science in terms of you're talking about layers and and mm-hmm. understanding when there's so many contexts to again understanding where the teams at, where people are at, fatigue, mental fatigue, um, very, very difficult to approach that tiering information for a season.
1: Yeah, and you hear top-level coaches say this all the time in press conferences where they get asked, you know, what, if this situation happened again, would you react the same way? And, and the answer is, I don't know. I mean, it, there's so many things that, so many pieces of the the context and external factors that go into it. You know are they like you said are they tired are they you know or did, did we just are, have we won three games in a row have we lost three games in a row where are they up here in terms of their thinking process um you know are they are they physically fatigued are they or are they in a good place where they can take on that information or, or maybe do they need a wake-up call and so you can hammer them a little bit more with that kind of stuff there's just so many things that go into it that yeah. You you pick up these references as best you can, and, and ideally you you say, okay, well, that didn't work. Next time in this situation, I might think about this factor as well. Um, you know, maybe I didn't consider X, Y, or Z, um, but next time I will. And, and again, it doesn't mean that you'll change what you do, but it means that maybe next time you'll think about something else before you decide to act. And And that's... I guess some people call that experience. I, I think it's it's still part of theorizing your experience. So you can't, it's not just blindly doing what you've always done or what somebody else tells you to do or what you once saw Pep do on YouTube. Um, but it's, it's important to have um, those references sort of built up to where ideally, you, you know, in the next situation what, you, what you'll at least look at to maybe make a different decision or maybe make the same
0: decision. Uh, alongside the, the facility and, and even staffing, you've got a short window, so you, you don't have S and S&C coaches and, and rehab and all that there. But I'm guessing you've got a game model that's, you know, you're, you're looking to be expansive in the build and you're looking to win the ball back quickly and press high, then obviously physical demands are quite high. How much of the physical demands go alongside the game model? And if so... How do you manage that in a short period of time with training with little to no preseason?
1: Yeah, everything's connected. There's no, I know traditionally we think of, you know, the, the old four pillars model, technical, tactical, physical, psychological. And, and I think a number of people and a number of sources have debunked that um, in recent years. So I don't think I need to go into it now. But um, But there's every single element is always present. It's, you know okay, it's 100 degrees this week and we're playing on turf. Are we going to high press? Probably not, you know, or, or not for 90 minutes anyway. Um, things that we need to take into consideration, the fact that we have limited subs in this league versus in college, it's not unlimited, but, you know, it basically is because there's re-entry and there's all, all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, things that you do need to understand within the context of what you're trying to do. But at the same time, that doesn't necessarily change what you do or what you want to do, but maybe it changes how you get there. So if I want a team that now suddenly has limited subs and it's hot instead of, you know, college season in the fall when it's, you know, I mean, I don't know what it's like uh, elsewhere, but in in Washington state, it's like 45, 50 degrees this week. It's freezing up here. Um, You know, you, you can press for a little bit longer because it's almost like, okay, I want to run versus in the summer when it's 90 degrees here and we're still playing on turf. Probably a little bit of a different idea. Um, so this is an example of, of how I did kind of tweak what I want to do. I have a couple different ideas in, in defending from the front where one model where it's maybe a high pressing idea and then another one where it's a little bit more middle block, let's be patient, let's, let's wait for a couple of triggers. And, and early in the season, last summer, I came out and said, okay, we're gonna high press this game. I think this team that we're playing against doesn't play out of the back very well we'll, we'll go kind of man for man in some ways and we'll press this and do this and force them here. And I looked at it on video. I looked at it on a tactics board. I go, okay, this looks good. It'll work. We did it in training. It kind of worked at least enough to where I thought, okay, well, in a game situation, they'll get it. They'll, you know, they'll, they'll get there after a few reps. And then honestly, it was a total disaster. We, we shouldn't, shouldn't have done it. Shouldn't have done it. Um, should have realized that again, all those factors, limited preseason, Limited training time during the week. I think we did one training session on it, maybe two, before we went into the game and tried to do it. Um, all of those things should have been red flags to me to go, nope, it's not going to work. Don't do it. Um, if we had this team for six weeks and then it was our first game and we would made it, been able to work on all that, then maybe. So after that, I sort of... And, and it, is where it comes in the empathy part and and being human and and a little bit vulnerable after the game we we looked at some video as a team and i i told the players i said okay first things first i'm sorry this this was on me we lost by the way Uh, i said this was on me shouldn't have done it i thought it was a good idea it obviously wasn't we're going to do something different going forward and next time we play this team and uh so you know and and again i think that creates a little bit of buy-in because then they go huh all right, this guy actually cares enough to, to, first of all, think about these things. And secondly, to not just go, oh, well, you guys, you guys didn't do this. I told you to do this. Why didn't you do this? Or maybe you sit back and go, that was a bad idea. So, um, you know, it's it, it, all of these things sort of wrap in and, and and again this is why it's important to have those options i think in the game model where we go okay here's a structure either you do this or you do this is it on to do this so is it on to high press maybe not and not just because of the game situation maybe because of the external factors maybe it's not on we can't do it so then okay option one is no longer an option so now what's option two um and it's not you know when pep came into to man city Everybody was talking about, he needs a plan B. He needs a plan B. There needs to be a, and this idea that your plan A and your plan B need to be polar opposites, again, I think has been proven very wrong, where now it's not, you know, plan A is to play out of the back and plan B is to play direct. No, okay, maybe plan A is to play out of the back doing this. Plan B is to play out of the back doing this because that's not going to work or it's not an option. And then maybe plan C is is a step even farther. And okay, now we're going to try this because this and this aren't working. So uh, within that is, is, and they're all connected and they all make sense. Because if you do this this one instead where you have a plan A and a plan B that are polar opposites, suddenly the players are going, wait a minute, we were doing this and now we're doing this other one what is this guy doing? Why are these why there's no consistency here? And so I think that's another um, another piece where coaches maybe go wrong with this and, and it's another way to let players in on your thought process and go, okay, this isn't working. Here's why. We're gonna do this one instead. If this one doesn't work, maybe we'll try this and, and they can hopefully follow a little bit and they follow along and they go, Okay, it makes sense, it's logical, it's rational, it's not one week one thing, next week another thing.
0: Yeah, that example used about like a, a game plan that's, that's not going right and it's probably for all to see. Well, how would you or how do you assess a game plan that is, is maybe in the middle where it's not easy to see whether through result or, or who's on top? Like, how do you judge the game model immediately after it? Yeah, one of the things that we did
1: really well this past season is we were definitely a second half team. So we had this ability to, so, you know, we'd play the first half and it would go, however it would go. And then we were able to sort of analyze in the moment uh, and at halftime, get the right messages across that in the second half, we were able to, to improve. You have to be able to analyze during the game and see where, you know, what your areas of emphasis were for each position, each unit, each, uh, each area of the field and and in the first half you have to look and say is that working is is it working in the front half is it working in the middle third is it working in the back half is attacking defending um and and if it is then great Emphasize, maybe re-emphasize it if it isn't then you need to understand why and how you can fix
0: it quickly mls environment columbus crew and the success you had there what what are some takeaways from from managing all those different facets of the day to day, the science, the data, the analysis, the scouting, obviously the coaching. Uh, what are some things you went away from there and said, "I'm definitely, definitely using that"?
1: The the biggest thing that I thought we did right was that everything with everything we did, the football idea came first. So what we wanted to accomplish on the field was always number one, and you can get bogged down in all the other things at times, the, the data and the science and the, you know, the, all of that stuff, the periodization, where you are in the season, what you can do, but the football idea has to be number one and it has to be, everything else has to be in service of that, not the other way around. I think that was the biggest thing because um, we were working with some pretty heavy constraints as well, because it was the COVID season and, and, and all that. So there were some really heavy sort of restrictions and I thought that was one of the reasons why we had so much success because we were able to take those ideas and those restrictions and say, okay, we still want to play like this. So how are we going to make that happen with these resources, the, the sort of issues, the external factors that we have? And how can we be creative and problem-solve to make sure that on the field, we still get what we want out of it?
0: All right, let's take a look at some of the of the presentation and the that you sent over and then a couple of clips as well. So... We'll put this on YouTube. If you're listening to this on the podcast, you can. Uh, if you want to get this extra 20 minutes, we'll just put it up on YouTube. Yeah. Uh, fantastic, fantastic. That was that was, a, that was uh, really really good to go through what that process is from start, and then obviously um, even some of those training clips as well. There's, you said it. I think in the middle of, of the chat was it's all related. It, strengthening those connections. I think that was the first answer you had. Mm-hmm. Uh, almost going back to there, if the connection is that game idea you talk about. If it's strengthening throughout the training sessions, then all of a sudden you've got a better chance of landing that with shorter periods of time to prepare.
1: Yeah. I mean, every football action, every training exercise includes kind of what we would traditionally call those tactical components, right? So mm-hmm. there's two aspects that go into it, the framework of the team and the individual cues. And obviously football is a team sport and not an individual one. So um, we need to have that that kind of action, language and understanding at the team level to increase that mutual understanding and awareness between players and, and training should be aimed at fine tuning and perfecting that communication and those, uh, you know, communication with its verbal, nonverbal, tactical understanding. Um, every part of a football action depends on that quality communication. So. Um, you know, being able to coordinate two or more players' individual game insight at the team level, that's that's what tactics is. That's what communication is. So, um, their, their understanding, their individual understanding, if, if one brain is here, the other brain is here, their individual understanding has to coincide. So, it has to be in sync it requires that interaction exchange of information so it requires the framework up here that tells them here's what we're trying to do and then it requires them doing it and and okay i see so when when he does this i do this and and there's really an understanding um to to really get those get the players in sync and that's why this component is is of the highest order in in football so Um, Superior communication can compensate for a lack of ability in other areas and and high ability in other areas can't always replace this mutual understanding. So that's a fancy way of saying that individual players are must have a high level, but that doesn't always mean that you're going to win if you come up against a team that has a better understanding and can work better together, has better chemistry generally speaking, unless the individual level of this team is that much higher that it the, you know, they, they're still better um, than the the team that has the superior communication can um, and often does overcome a team that's just individually better. Um, and, and like you said, whenever possible, these players kind of players and units, uh, your back line, your midfield, whatever, they should be trained together to maximize that mutual understanding. So even in possession games, if you do a four by four plus three, it's not a random four. It's not, it's not, you know, a random selection of players who are grouped together. It's the players that you need to um, kind of develop that understanding and that chemistry and, and overload their communication among those players. So um, the, you know, the development of that communication, verbal, nonverbal, that understanding, that chemistry, it's, it's maximized the players who play together, also train together. And, um, Again, no wasted time. Um, exercises are position-specific. It's not uh, random, like, ah, oh, let's just give five guys go throw on purple bibs. That's why you look at those session plans. Um, the, the initials of the players, every exercise is like that, where it doesn't matter if it's a really basic possession exercise, doesn't matter if it's... Uh, you know, um, um, a passing exercise or or whatever. All the the groups, the rondos even, the groups of players that you need to have that understanding are grouped together. And and maybe it's not necessarily your midfielders, your defenders, your forwards are all together. Maybe you throw um, a couple of players together who, um, you know, these guys are going to be really important for the team. They need to work well together. They need to understand each other. So we're going to throw them together. Um, so that's kind of the great. the gist behind that the training methodology and ideas there
0: brilliant no it's a great way to finish because you you get a lot especially today with canva you get a lot of glossy uh, game models and then you don't really know whether they're going out and doing really anything that's tactically uh, deliberate or or related to what their their objectives are but when you can it's very rare that you can look and, and get an insight to what you're doing here as an insight to the whole season um, with with a lot of honesty and a lot of modesty on where you're trying to get better and what you're trying to build. It's fantastic. I've loved it.
1: No, I, I enjoyed sharing that. That's good. I think it's really important for coaches to be willing and able to, to share information. I think uh, Pep Linders at Liverpool always says it, right? It just... It, it raises the general level of, of understanding and coaching and, and if people are willing to exchange ideas and, you know, there's always this fear of, oh, well, if if I do this, then people are going to know what I'm trying to do. And That's only a problem if you're not evolving. It's only a yeah. problem if you're not always getting better. It's always, a, it, you know, again, next year's crop of players that I have to work with will probably be completely different. So what we do will probably look somewhat similar, hopefully, because it's the same idea, but the way that we do it will probably be vastly different. So, um, yeah, that that exchange of information is something that I think is, is important to embrace and something that I've always, always enjoyed.
0: Fantastic. Fantastic. Thank you very much for coming on.
1: Thanks. Enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. For more coaching topics